So welcome everybody to today's episode of the Independent Teacher Podcast. And I'm really pleased to be joined by Dr. Amanda Cole. Amanda, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. What we're going to be talking about today is something that's really dear to me. We're going to be talking about accents. And I think you refer to it as accentism. Yeah, exactly. So accentism kind of being this all-encompassing term for talking about essentially sort of discrimination that happens on the basis of accent and the sort of different forms that that can take. And you have spent most of your, I suppose, your academic life looking at this, haven't you? So can you say something about your academic background and then also about the accentism project? So I do spend a lot of time thinking about and looking at accentism. Um, so I'm a sociolinguist, so basically I kind of research the interaction between language and society. Um, and some of that sort of encompasses kind of language attitudes, so the way that people judge other people or sort of evaluate them or perceive them based on their accent. Um, and then sort of accentism, which, as I say, is, this, is, the, is the sort of forms of discrimination that can happen around accent. Um, so not only do I research it, but I also am involved in the Accentism Project, um, which I run with Rob Drummond, who's at Manchester Metropolitan University. And basically, it's a project that we're running, um, and it's got a website if any of you are interested. We run it in order to sort of raise awareness and combat accentism and the different um, the, the different sort of forms that that can take in society. So be that in school or in courtrooms or in sort of everyday interactions, in our jobs, at work. And not only are we kind of hoping to raise awareness, but we have um, the opportunity for people to sort of share their own stories on the site. So they can um, explain times that accentism's happened to them or read examples that it's happened to other people. And then we have sort of resources on, you know, academic papers, but also, you know, accentism in the news, basically just to raise awareness and start to sort of plug away at the problems of accentism in our society. You see, I, I would say I've, I've probably always been aware of my accent. I've probably become aware in my teaching career in the independent sector of accentism. And I remember once being told by a recruitment agency that it would be a good idea really to apply for headships in the independent sector, probably no further um, south of Birmingham, linked to my accent. I mean, it was put very nicely in a very kindly way, but I was told that, you know, that my accent could be a reason for not being employed in some of the top independent schools um, in, in, in the, the south of, of England. And I suppose my reaction to that was, oh, should I have elocution lessons? And I soon stopped worrying about that. And then the other side of it is I'm actually really proud of my accent. I've had it all through university, all through my career. So I don't think that was ever something that I would have considered. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, so your experience, I think, unfortunately, really isn't that unusual. And probably a lot of people can kind of relate to, you know, accent being referred to kind of explicitly or even slightly implicitly, but made relevant to how appropriate you're seen in the position. And kind of what you were saying about, like, whether or not you should have elocution lessons or, you know, feel proud of your accent. And it's, you know, it's not a place that people should feel that they have to be stuck between those two things. We should be able to feel proud of our accents and not feel that we need to kind of leave them at the door. Um, and yeah, it is something 
that I have experienced. And as I'm, you know, that people with accents that kind of mark them out or are seen as non-standard or regional, or if an accent is perceived as non-native, then this is something that people do experience all the time. Um, so, you know, just to kind of give you an example, I guess, as an academic, I think people do have this expectation of the way that they think an academic, an academic is going to sound. And it probably isn't always, you know, having an Essex accent. You know, my parents are from London, so I think it's that's not maybe the sort of conventional expectation of an academic. So, you know, I have instances where, you know, I'm talking on the radio or talking in different settings and people will write in or say to me, like, you know, how can you talk about language or accent or the English language or grammar when you don't talk properly? Um, and I always think when I get these kind of comments, I think it's kind of a bit of a gift in a way, because it's just an example of accentism. But I'm clearly not there to talk about accents in my capacity as someone with an accent, as you know, we all have accents. But I'm there to talk about it with my, you know, with my kind of expertise of having a PhD and, you know, being an academic in that field. Um, and it's just an example of the way that accentism can just undermine people's knowledge, undermine their expertise and their competence. Um, and it's something that some people constantly have to battle against and others don't. And that can just create this sort of unfair, this unfair field that we're sort of all working in. I think I'm getting the message about the link between accents and class in, in the UK. Yeah, so accents are very much related to class in the UK. So what we do tend to find is that basically the higher a person's class or the higher people's class across the UK, the more likely they are to kind of sound similar to each other. Um, and this is kind of converging on received pronunciation, so RP, which, you know, some people might be more familiar with terms like Queen's English or BBC English or Oxford English, these sort of personifying terms that we have for this way of speaking. Um, so, yeah, where, wherever people are from, the higher their class, the more likely they're to speak with an accent similar to that. Whereas actually working class people tend to have accents that are much more rooted in where they're from. So it tends actually to be easier to tell where someone's from the lower their class. So, you know, a working class person from Manchester compared to a working class person from Essex or the Southwest or Birmingham, they're probably going to sound quite different to each other. But, you know, if we have upper middle class people from those areas, it's more likely that they will sound kind of more leveled, more similar. So, yeah, class is very much related to the way that we speak. And as a result of that, we'd see a lot of accentism based on class. Because, you know, if you can tell a person's class from their speech, um, whether you kind of know that explicitly or not, we, you know, class is related to the way that we talk. And as a result of that, a lot of the discrimination we see based on accent is very much actually kind of a proxy for classism. And this, I know your your research is based on, you know, the, obviously, the, England. What about accentism in other countries, like, say, for example, the United States? Yeah, so obviously we have accentism here, but it's obviously not a phenomenon that's exclusive to this country at all. And it's found in many, many different places. But what's interesting is that the configuration is different. So the groups of people who are targeted by accentism are going to be different across different societies. And actually what we do tend to find is that the people whose accents are seen as wrong or incorrect or non-standard are also the groups of society, you know, who tend to have lower status in that society. And obviously that's no coincidence because accentism is actually just kind of standing in for other forms of prejudice. So, for instance, in the United States, um, a lot of accentism sort of centres around race. Um, and, you know, that's not to say that it doesn't as well in the UK, because obviously it does. 
Um, but class does tend to be very central to um, the way that accent variation and accentism operates in this country. And people's accents do change, don't they, as they go through their their lives there will be some people who will come from working class backgrounds they'll go to university they'll mix with different people with different accents or maybe standard um english accents and you know that they they change i i i would say mine hasn't and you know i've always been proud to come from Yorkshire I think the first thing I did when I went to university is I joined Yorkshire Society which maybe says something and I made sure I watched Emmerdale and things like things like that but yeah accents change don't they as we, as we go through our lives why is that yeah so absolutely our accents change um and yeah I think you really hit the nail on the head that happens more for some people than others um so really a lot of it comes down to kind of linguistic exposure so basically the different ways of speaking that we can that we come across um so you know that's the people that you mix with the place that you live the media that you consume um so the different ways of speaking that you tend to hear this is all going to have sort of an impact on the way that you speak so often you know if you do go to university and you start mixing with people who will have a different accent to you that can rub off on the way that you speak but also as you say it's not always um the same for everyone and part of that is related to sort of a person's sort of maybe sense of identity or how rooted they feel in where they're from or their accent um and i mean you're saying <laughs> during the yorkshire society i think that's a good example of something very rooted in where they're from which actually maybe um inhibits some of the sort of potential accent change that someone may have so accent change is a thing that happens but also what we do often find is that people not only change their accent as a whole, but they may acquire different ways of speaking. So, you know, it may be, and this is kind of what's happened to me. Like, I know that being an academic, I've become a lot more standard in my accent. I don't really like that that's happened um, because I, I, you know, I liked having this exact, but it's what's happened. I know that I've become more standard and you can probably hear it talking. I know that then when I'm back with my mum and my dad, I come out like fully back to Essex and I feel like I'm a teenager again speaking in this like really broad sort of slang ridden accent and that's often something that can happen you know we don't just completely change our accent but we can acquire different ways of speaking we can come sort of bi-dialectal you know in the same way that someone can speak multiple languages some people can have multiple different dialects and you know that's a great thing it's a good thing if people can do that. And I know before we came on air we, we also talked about People who have foreign accents, because you've done a little bit of research on on that as well. And and some of my best friends come from France and speak with a French accent, and they have been teachers. Uh, what would you? What, what does your research suggest about people with with? It, I'm doing it inverted commas. Foreign accents. We can often focus on sort of regional accents in the UK. And we know that there's a huge amount of discrimination around regional accents. But actually, it tends to be um, any accent that's perceived as non-standard. People will, will sort of receive different levels of sort of accent prejudice. And this can operate in different ways. But um, so not in my own research, but there's been some very interesting research that has been done um, around sort of trivia questions or trivia statements, which I, I found really fascinating when I've read about it. So, for instance, if I say a sentence to you like, you know, ants don't sleep, and it's kind of this weird trivia statement, but this research found that people are more likely to believe it if it's said by someone they perceive as having a native English accent rather than what they perceive as a non-native accent. 
Um, and I think it's just a really good example that shows that actually accentism isn't just about what's seen as correct or incorrect. It plays into our lives in many, many different ways. And in my own research, I've looked at sort of perceived intelligence and friendliness and trustworthiness. Um, and this is focused on the southeast of England. But I've kind of found that, um, you know, people who are working class, for instance, are judged as much less intelligent. So on average, like 14 percent less intelligent than upper middle class people. Um, and people from Essex or London are judged as much less intelligent. So, you know, if you're from Essex, you're 11% more likely to be judged as unintelligent than someone from, say, southwest London. So it's not just this standard or non-standard. This, like, really impacts people's lives as, it, you know, it just puts you so much on the back foot. You're going to have to impress so much more to be perceived on a level playing field as someone with a more standard accent. And and foreign people, not not at all, not not trusted, not recognized in the same way as somebody who's been born in this this country is that is that is that what you're saying as well yeah so it does it depends on sort of the accent so what people perceive as native or what people perceive as non-native it's not just oh if they perceive an accent to be non-native they're going to judge it negatively there's still a hierarchy within that so for instance a french accent tends to come out actually more positive than some other accents from around the world but there is certainly a dichotomy of people perceiving, on average, you know, what they perceive to be a native accent more favourably than non-native. Um, and, you know, there's also this hierarchy that falls for, you know, British accents, for accents within Britain, so regional accents. Um, and again, it's not always just like standard or non-standard, but we often find that some accents are judged to be sort of intelligent, correct, to be standard and appropriate. But other accents can be judged to be maybe more friendly or trustworthy or warm. And actually, you'd probably be interested to know that Yorkshire is an accent that people do tend to judge in that way as being friendly and warm, although they don't necessarily judge it as being maybe intelligent or correct. Are there? So, you talk there about accents being perceived differently, regional accents. Are there some accents that are more stigmatised than others in, in, in the UK? Yeah, definitely. Um, and there's actually been a lot of research done on this, and it's spanned many decades. And what's interesting is that this hierarchy has actually remained really quite consistent across quite a few decades. And um, I'm sorry for anyone listening from Birmingham, but actually it does tend to be the Birmingham accent. So it tends to be kind of urban accents, particularly from sort of industrialised areas. So Liverpool is an accent judged quite negatively. Birmingham, London, so Cockney accents. Essex is kind of an extension of that. Um, they tend to be the accents that are judged most negatively. And then the accent that tends to be judged most positively is, well, firstly, people's own accent. People do tend to like their own accent, but also RP, so this like received pronunciation. But to kind of caveat that fact about people's own accent, it's not always the case. So, for instance, in my research, I found that, you know, working class people also thought that working class people sounded less intelligent based on their accent. And I think that kind of just shows these ways of thinking are just so embedded in the way we think. They're so sort of pervasive um, that, you know, we people even feel it sometimes about their own accent because it's really hard to break out of these ways of thinking. And I know you've written several fantastic articles in the conversation and one of them came out quite recently. And, and what you did is you highlighted some uh, well-known individuals who've actually been ridiculed because of their accents. And I just wondered if you could just talk our listeners 
through some of those examples on what happened to them. And I'm sure they'll then want to go and have a look at the article um, after we've talked. Yeah, so there's quite a few different sort of high profile people who even in like, you know, just the last year, I could name quite a lot of people who have been commented on or criticised for their accent. So I think in the article um, that you're talking about, I mainly spoke about the Beckhams. So Victoria and David Beckham, um, because there'd been a bit of sort of controversy around Victoria Beckham's accent of people saying that she'd become more, you know, posh spice had become more posh, basically, that her accent had become more posh. Um, and, you know, people tend to see this as kind of insincere or pretentious or, uh, you know, people don't tend to look at it favourably. But I was kind of highlighting that there's this huge hypocrisy around people with working class accents because, you know, she's criticised for starting to speak more standard. But that she was also widely criticised for her accent if we go back, you know, a couple of decades when she had quite a sort of um, vernacular or sort of non-standard working class kind of regional accent from the southeast. And, you know, the same for David Beckham coming from London. He was criticised for his East London accent. But, you know, as soon as they start to speak more standard, they're also criticised. So it kind of starts to look like maybe the problem isn't accent. It's the things that are underpinning that. So things like class um, and some of the other high profile examples. So like Pretty Patel has been criticised for her accent. Um, Angela Rayner, constantly a source of accentism, um, not not a source of it. She could <laughs> produce the accentism, but people are constantly commenting on her accent and how appropriate it is. Um, and another example was Alex Scott who on the BBC Olympics coverage was um, saying words like running, jumping, you know, all the sort of verbs that are going to go along with the Olympics coverage. And she was criticised by Lord Digby Jones for what he called, you know, dropping G. Um, and she kind of pushed back against that. And she said, well, I'm, you know, I'm from London, I'm from a working class background, and I'm proud of that, and I don't want to change it. And he retaliated and said, well, you know, you shouldn't play the class card because it's nothing to do with class and it's nothing to do with accent. But I mean, of course, it, it is. Like, it's everything to do with class. It's everything to do with accent. Working class people from London do tend to say, run in, jump in. So it's, you know, for her to be producing it in that way, it has everything to do with her accent and everything to do with class. And I think this is an example of how people tend to sort of catastroph catastrophically misinterpret basic linguistic principles because saying run in, I mean, it's not wrong for a start. There's been variation between the ing and the in ending for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, going back to sort of Middle English. And actually saying running with an in ending used to be seen as more standard. And it's only actually sort of switched more recently. Well into the 20th century, upper class people tended to say the in ending. So like hunting, shooting, fishing. Um, and now working class people are those that are more likely to do that. And, you know, surprise, surprise, it's now seen as incorrect. And also, I mean, he said you should say the G at the end. There really isn't a G at the end in, you know, let's say in Queen's English. The Queen wouldn't say running or the King now maybe <laughs> wouldn't say running. But actually, that is something that we maybe would find in parts, maybe say like Manchester, but, um, you know, he's sort of equating spelling and speech, which is completely, um, it's basically completely incorrect. So the, the arguments that underpin accentism, these sort of straw man arguments that really don't stand up to any scientific scrutiny. So do you think we're any closer to overcoming accentism with all the work that you're doing and, you know, the, the publicity that, that your article has, has received? I mean, 
what's the best way to overcome accentism? I do sort of feel kind of hopeful and positive about it because I do think accentism is getting more and more kind of attention and more awareness. And I think awareness is the thing that is going to bring down accentism, well, bring down probably quite strong because we're never going to completely get rid of it in the same way that probably we're never going to completely be able to eradicate all of the prejudices and discrimination that underpin it. But the best we can do is we can be completely aware that it's happening so that we are able to call it out. Mm. Um, and I think at the minute, there actually really isn't much um, kind of awareness that of standard language ideology, which is a term that we use as linguists to refer to this concept that there is a standard way of speaking English. And we all kind of take that as a given. There's a correct English, there's a standard way of writing or speaking, or, you know, there's a grammatically correct form of English that's good diction, good articulation. And, you know, there's no logical or scientific evidence for this. It's completely um, it's completely fabricated. I mean, it's socially um, constructed, these ideas. And I think if we could all just kind of have some more awareness or understanding of these linguistic principles, it would help us to then be able to sort of undermine the principles that sort of bolster accentism. And do you, do you see that in the media more now? I'm just thinking of some, you know, like you talk about Alex Scott, like you talking maybe about Steph McGovern on Channel 4. Do you feel that there is more of a movement within the media to break down accentism as well? I think there is. I think we're seeing it more and more in the media. And I think that can only be a really positive thing. I think it's something, you know, that the media and the public are starting to be more aware of. Mm. Um, and, you know, that gives me a lot of hope that I think we are kind of moving in a direction where accentism is going to be something, you know, that's a, just a lot more on people's radar and a lot more kind of on the agenda. Because it is something that people experience constantly all the time. And at least if people had the sort of vocabulary and the awareness to call it out when it happens to them and people will recognise that as like a legitimate problem, then I think that's a really big step. And we are sort of slowly edging towards that, I think. And what about in schools and educating our children? Do you think that is something we should be doing more of? I think, um, you know, accentism is something that we should all be aware of. And I, you know, I guess in schools, that would be a brilliant place to start if children could be aware that that's happening. And if we could sort of embed that from a young age, then, you know, definitely all the better. It's something, you know, I would love to see within curriculums. I would love to see classrooms incorporating awareness of that. But just teaching, you know, generally within diversity and inclusion, which I know are things that are very much important within schools and taught within schools. Um, but actually the way that accent factors into that, I'd like to see, you know, more um, around accent specifically and how it can kind of interact with these other factors. Good. Now, we're coming to the, to the end of our conversation. And I have a question for you here, which is, given all your knowledge and all your research in this area, do you think we will ever have an English prime minister with an Essex accent? I know we've had at least one with a Yorkshire accent and I yeah. to, to Harold Wilson way before your time, obviously in the, the 1960s and 70s. But what do you think? A, a prime minister with an Essex accent, is that ever going to happen in our lifetime? I mean, if we're talking about a proper sort of Essex accent that we hear on, the only way is Essex or, you know, that you might hear walking you know, down a high street in Essex or high road, because obviously we have high roads in Essex, not high streets, at least in southern Essex. Um, I think I'm very hopeful that that can happen. Do you know what I was saying about we are combating accentism, we are getting more aware. But I would like to kind of 
bring back to this point of how accentism is gatekeeping who we see in different sectors. So, you know, if a working class accent isn't seen as appropriate in parliament or academia or teaching, then basically we're saying working class people aren't seen as appropriate. And unfortunately, we still in politics do have relatively quite a sort of homogeny of accents, which actually means that we're not seeing the sort of diversity that, you know, we could or should be seeing amongst the sort of people who represent us politically. And, you know, in my own research looking at Essex, there's such a stigma and stereotype specifically around an Essex accent. And, you know, if you're judged as unintelligent purely for having an Essex accent, we imagine how much more competent and capable and intelligent that person's got to be to actually combat or to sort of counteract the the perception of unintelligence based on their accent. You know, that's going to have to be quite substantial. They're going to have to be a very special individual. And I think we would like to get to a point where actually their accent won't matter at all and they can be judged purely on merit. And I do, you know, come back to the question, I do think that there is definitely hope that we can have a person with a full-on Essex accent as our Prime Minister and we can all look up to them and we can say, yes, there's the Essex accent, this is what we wanted to hear. That sounded very much like a politician's answer. Now, that's a really, really good way to end. And uh, can I just say, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you today about accents. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Independent Teacher Podcast with me, your host, Susan Pallister. If you like listening to this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.